Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Westside. Um, it is good to see you, but not really see you right now. Um, I wish that we were together, but I'm very, very grateful for technology. So um, it just matters where your Bible is and where you are right now. Um, and I'm so excited about the passage of Scripture that we're in today. I'm partially um, very disappointed that we're not able to be together. Tough call, the weather's bad. Um, but basically just because this passage and these verses of Scripture that are before us, um, all scholars agree, are some of the highest Scriptures describing the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is the thrust of the book of Colossians. Um, no more introduction to the letter. The Apostle Paul has prayed for them. He told uh, the, uh, the people in Colossae why he's writing them to the letter, and then it's just bam. Like, here we are, Jesus lifted high. There has been more ink spilled over these verses than maybe any of the other verses in the New Testament. And as I was studying this passage afresh this week, um, God sort of revealed something to me. I've, I'm very familiar with this passage. I actually, um, I've had the privilege to travel around and to preach to a lot of places. But if I were to drop into a place, to a church or anywhere, and preach one time to people that I've never met before, I would preach these verses. Because I believe that they describe so clearly who Jesus is. But coming to the passage this week and studying it afresh... I just really believe that God revealed some things to me this week that I'm really excited to share with you. And maybe as a way of introduction, this will be helpful. Um, Florence Chadwick is a lady of history um, who just is an incredible person. And if you have small girls, um, Florence Chadwick would be a really awesome woman for them to study. But Florence Chadwick was a swimmer. And she actually swam uh, the English Channel back in the early 1950s. Um, that is the passage of water between France and England, 21 miles. Um, she swam it there and back. And in 1952, she stepped into the waters of the uh, Pacific Ocean to swim the Catalina Island, that shoreline right there. And it's about 26 miles and as she was swimming it, she had her crew actually in the boat next to her to help her out and to guide her and actually to also fight off sharks 
while she was swimming. So I don't know what you've been doing with your life, but she's swimming 26 miles and fighting off sharks, and she was going to set the world record. 15 hours into the swim, as salt water is beating onto her face, exhaustion is setting in. 15 hours into the swim, a deep and dense fog set in. And actually, the fog was so dense that there were times that the people that were in the boat, literally next to her, couldn't see her. And she was giving it everything that she had, but the waters, the fog, and Florence stopped swimming and got into the boat. And she got into the boat only to find out that she was a half mile away from her destination. Can you imagine that feeling? I mean, exhaustion, all of that. And, and at the press conference afterwards, Florence said these words, All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. All I could see was the fog. But if I could have seen my destination, if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. I would have kept going. Now, what does that have to do with our passage? Well, if you look in these verses, verses 15 through 20 just describe who Jesus is literally in cosmic proportions. But then look at verses 21, 22, and 23. The Apostle Paul says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Real seeker-sensitive message there. Verse 22. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh and by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach. That's the shoreline. That's the goal. That that, That Jesus is going to present us to the Father holy and blameless. But here it is. This is the verse that God showed me this week. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. God showed me this week that the reason why the Apostle Paul is showing and describing all of these characteristics of who Jesus is is found in verse 23. He said, the reason why I'm showing you Jesus so clearly is so that this would be a motivation to your faith. Now, we talked about last week this this false teaching and this heresy that had crept into the church that said basically Jesus isn't enough, that, that you need other things either from other religions or other experiences in order to really make it. But Paul's saying, no, no, no. Jesus is enough. And this is who Jesus is. This is the Jesus that you were following. So in light of that, continue in the faith. I love what the ESV Study Bible says. It's a great resource for you. The form of the phrase in the original language indicates that Paul fully expects that the Colossian believers will continue in the faith. You see, verse 23, we see that if, indeed, we're like, ooh, ooh, if, if you make it, good luck, bud, good luck, probably not going to make it. That, that's not the case. Actually, it's probably better translated, um, since you are continuing in the faith. Since you're continuing in the faith, 
ESV Study Bible says, Paul fully expects the Colossian believers will continue in the faith. No doubt is expressed. Nevertheless, the statement shows that faithfulness to the end is essential to the Christian life. Faithfulness to the end is essential for the Christian life. We've been saying this a lot lately, that it's not about how you start, it's about how you finish. It's about how you continue. And so in light of all of these descriptions of who Jesus is, this high view of Jesus, and then this thrust and this motivation in verse 23 of the reason why I'm writing this is so you continue in the faith. Um, I want this to be our thesis and our big idea today. Just right where you're at, you can write this, type this into the comments. In order to follow Jesus faithfully, I need to see Jesus clearly. Remember Florence Chadwick? The fog was too heavy. And if I could see the shoreline, then I would have kept going. Listen, in order to follow Jesus faithfully, to not stop, to not give up, to not give in to other things, to not pursue other areas of what I need things in my life, in order to follow Jesus faithfully, I need to see Jesus clearly. I need to see the shoreline. I need to see the goal. And listen. The goal in the Christian life is Jesus. Jesus is not just um, what we get in the beginning of the Christian life and then we move on to greater, bigger things. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying here. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that it starts with Jesus, it's sustained by Jesus, and the end goal is Jesus. That it's all about Jesus. And so today, I just want to encourage you from the passage, I see four statements um, that the Apostle Paul describes and talks about who Jesus is. And remember, why are we studying this? Why are we, all of these descriptions about Jesus, why are we studying about who Jesus is and this high view of Jesus? Because in order to follow Jesus faithfully, I need to see Jesus clearly. Listen, the answer to the current season in your life, with your marriage, with your relationships, with your finances, with your health, is Jesus. And we need to see Him clearly in order to follow faithfully. So I see some statements about who Jesus is. Um, the first one is this. Jesus reveals the Father. Jesus reveals the Father. Look at what He says right there in verse 15. He is the image of of the invisible God. Like, wow, can we just um, stop there and ponder for a thousand years what that even means? That Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The word image there is where we get the word um, icon from. It means to fully represent. That if you want to know what something is like, then look at this, because this fully represents it. It's... It, it, it's almost like your Facebook profile picture or, or, or like your little Twitter like avatar type of a thing like that. But, but it's more than that. Like, like if you want to know what I'm like and who I am, this represents that. But it says that he's the, the image um, in the original language. Um, that's the sign of a definite article. It means that there's no other image. So like we say things like I'm going to the store. 
the store. Well, there's a lot of other stores. But, but in the language that the Bible was written, it's saying that when you say, I'm going to the store, there's no other stores. That's the store. Like Tom Brady's the goat. I'm sorry. We'll just, I'll save that for later, okay? But like, there's no other image that represents that. And listen, we see this all through the scriptures. John chapter 1, verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God. Did you know that? The Bible says that the Father dwells in inapproachable light. That nobody's ever seen God. I actually believe, some people disagree, that's okay. I actually believe that even when we get to heaven, that, that we'll never see the Father. Because no one's ever seen God. But then it says this in John 1, or John chapter 1, verse 18. No one's ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. But He, Jesus, has made Him known. And then in John chapter 14, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and still you don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And then in Colossians 1.19, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Listen, the scripture is very, very clear that Jesus Christ did not say, Jesus Christ did not say that he was not God. That is not true. People will say that Jesus never said that he was God. That's not true. Jesus said, if you've seen me, then you have seen God the Father. The reason why Jesus was murdered on a cross in an unjust trial was not because he fed 5,000 people with a Lunchable or raised dead people to life. The reason why they nailed Jesus to the cross is because he said, I am God. I am God. So what does this mean? What is this that he's the image, that, that he reveals the Father to us? Well, um, the Oxford English Dictionary, which is like the standard for the English language, um, in 2013 added a new word to the dictionary. And um, it's a pretty big deal. They do it every year, and I'm a nerd, and I follow the blog, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see what word they released this year, because some guys hunt and kill animals, and I study the Oxford English Dictionary. But anyway, and so in 2013, they actually added a word, um, and the word was selfie. Like, that's what humanity's contributing to society now, is selfie is now in the Oxford English Dictionary. And they define it this way. Selfie, a photograph that one has taken of oneself, typically with a smartphone or webcam, and uploaded to a social media website. Selfie, right? Selfie. Jason, you might be saying, Jason, what does this have to do with anything? Well, listen. Um, Jesus is God's selfie. That if God were to take a selfie, the Father of Himself, that it is Jesus. So what are the implications of this? Listen, when we see Jesus loving the woman caught in the act of adultery, we can say, I know how God responds to sexual sin. When we see Jesus um, talk about money, we can say, well, I know what God's opinion on money is. When we see Jesus touch the leper, we can know how God treats people who are unclean and outcasts of society. Listen, I don't know where you are listening to this, but a lot of us have questions like, God, what are you like? God, what are you like? And the answer 
It's an axiom that we studied, is that God is like Jesus. So what does this mean? Um, Jesus, uh, Jesus shows us the Father, but it says there in verse 15, He's the image of the invisible God, and then it says this, the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. Well, that's like a little bit awkward, right? Because if Jesus firstborn, then Pastor Jason was, was Jesus created then? Like, um, did Jesus' life start before, you know, Mary and, and little six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus? Like, like, what's that about? Well, this verse has actually caused a lot of confusion and actually started a lot of um, false teaching known as Arianism in the early church. Um, and actually, Paul's addressing and correcting a lot of that. Um, that taught that Jesus was just an emanation of God, like angels or things like that. But actually, the phrase firstborn, let's do a little Bible study. Is it okay if we study the Bible right now? Like on Sunday morning, right where you're at, you have your Bible in your lap and your coffee at home. God forbid we study the Bible in church, right? Um, it's, it's actually a phrase of prominence. In Exodus uh, chapter 4, verse 22, God calls Israel his firstborn nation. Well, was Israel the first nation? Um, no, not by a long shot at all. And actually... Um, you might have a group of people uh, come knock on your door one day and ask to talk to you um, about Jesus. You see, the, the Jehovah's Witness actually used this verse to teach that Jesus was the first thing or person that God created. Um, when we used to live up in St. Louis we would have some Jehovah's Witness guys come over to the house, and I would always like invite them in, and they would hang out for a couple hours, and my wife was always like, you can't keep letting them in the house. They're here for so long. And they would come and hang out, and I would ask questions, and very gracious, um, and, and tried to be just very nice to them. But as they would come, um, some of them wouldn't come, and then like new people would come. And then, like, by the third or fourth time, nobody came but this old guy. And the old guy came one day, and I was like, hey, where, where are the other two young guys that were with you? And he was like, well, um, I'm actually an elder there at the church. And when they would leave here, they would have a lot of questions, and they would get confused. And so that's why I came today. But we actually talked about this verse. And um, he said, see, right there it says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And, and so what I said was, hey, uh, let's turn to Psalm 89. Let's turn to Psalm 89 in our Bible. And, and actually, right where you're at, you want to do that? Hey, let's do a sword drill. Do you remember sword drills? I grew up in this thing called Awanas where you would have your Bible, and they called it the sword, and you would have to turn to the Scripture as quick. Don't do it yet. And you'd have to turn to your Scripture, um, the, and, and the first person that did it won. Okay, so Psalm 89 is going to be in the middle of your Bible. Ready? On your mark, get set, go. Found it. Okay, I had my Bible marked. All right. Um, Psalm 89, verse 27 you see, because listen, we use the Scripture to interpret Scripture. Okay? Psalm 89, 27. This is a prophecy about Jesus, the Messiah. And I will make Him the firstborn. Now here it is. The highest of the kings of the earth. You see, that's what the phrase means. It's about prominence. It's about a position. 
This is who Jesus is, that, that Jesus shows us the Father, that Jesus wasn't something that God created first. And then, no, 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 it's about prominence, that Jesus is above everything. So what does this mean? Because, you see, we say that information should lead to application, which then leads to transformation. Well, listen, here's what I'm trying to say. Because Jesus reveals the Father... I can know God, and God can know me. This is so profound for us today, Westside. That Jesus reveals the Father so we can know what God is like. And listen, and God knows me. So you might be in a situation in a season of your life where maybe, um, maybe you've been betrayed and trust has been broken. And I don't know anything that's more painful than that. But did you know that we have a God in Jesus Christ who can sit down next to you and say, I know what it's like to be betrayed by loved ones. You see, listen, this sort of edges out any excuse that we have to not engage with the relationship with God. God knows who we are and we can know who God is because of Jesus. Jesus reveals the Father and then these next ones are going to go quicker. The second one is this. Jesus reveals the Father but then Jesus rules the universe. I mean, hello. Like Jesus has given Thanos a run for his money here, man. Look at this, verse 16. For by him all things were created. Like, I love the clarity of the Bible. Like, any questions? Like, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Hey, listen, look up here. I don't even know what that means, okay? But Paul, just to like clarify his statement, he was like, Jesus has created everything in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created, here it is, through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What? What? Jesus has created all things. I mean, we as Christians believe that Jesus Christ created the universe. I mean, look at the statements, by him, through him, for him. You know, one of the great tensions... Um, in Christianity, and a lot of times that, that maybe you might feel is, is science. And, and, and people think that, that science and Christianity are opposed to one another. I don't have a lot of time to get into all of that. I'm just, I'm just of the belief that, that those two things are not opposed to each other. I actually believe that all truth is God's truth. And that science is, is man's attempt to try to explain what God has already done. And I find it just so fascinating, particularly like this idea of the cosmos and the universe and all of those things like that. One of the things that is, that is close-handed because of what we've just read is, is that God has created everything. Okay, that's close-handed. Now, there's people who um, believe some things like theistic evolution, that God might have... I don't personally believe that, but I'm not mad at you if you believe that. Um, what's close-handed is that God created everything. And just think about that. Like, like here's a picture of you. <laughs> and, and everything that we know, okay, as, as the earth, right? And... Let's, like, this is a picture of the sun. 
Like, think about this. The sun is, is, is so big, so massive, that it controls our everyday life, that like um, we're afraid that it's going to maybe give us cancer, but we get real sad when it goes away. Like, like that's how, like the sun, how powerful that is. And then to zoom out, this is what we know as, as, as the Milky Way galaxy. And, and NASA now, um, through technology, now estimates that there's probably a hundred billion galaxies out there. And the scriptures teach that Jesus Christ spoke it into existence. That's why when you stand at the base of mountains or at the edge of an ocean or when you look out on a starry night and you see this, something aches and longs in the human heart. And the scriptures teach Psalm 19.1 that, that heavens, the heavens and the skies, all of that shouts and declares. Jesus is shouting saying, I made that, that I made that. But what does that mean? What's, what's the application of that to our life? Like that's profound to meditate on. Well, how about this? Um, that if Jesus could handle creation, then he can probably handle your situation. Remember? Why is Paul showing us this? Why is Paul saying that, that he rules the cosmos? Because if, since you are continuing in the faith, stay firm, keep following Jesus faithfully, and look at Jesus clearly, and this Jesus is the Jesus that spoke it all into existence. So no matter what you're dealing with, with a prodigal child, or with cancer, or with relationships, or you feel like that your marriage is about to spiral out of control, all I'm saying is this, is that the God that created the sun that we see and the Milky Way galaxy, that God that handled creation in six days, and I believe that he was done by breakfast, right? That he had his feet up by breakfast. That if he could handle all of that, then he can handle your situation. Listen, Jesus is enough. Please don't give up. But you know another verse that, that really stuck out to me is, is the phrase right here in verse 17. And he's before all things. And here it is. And in him all things hold together. We could talk about science right now and physics and um, actually how science doesn't know how even atoms and things actually hold together, that there's something at work that's taking place. I believe that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is even talking about that. But when I read that and studied that this week, um, I just had a worshipful moment, and, and I jotted this sentence down, and maybe this is for you. Since Jesus holds it all together, I don't have to. I believe that's a word for somebody today, for those of you watching or listening. Some of you feel like that everything in my family, and because, you know, my parents are divorced, and I've got to plan the birthday, and if I don't initiate, and when I get home, I've got to because nobody, and I've always... Right now, I just want you to take a deep breath right where you're at and let it out. 
Because Paul is telling us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ holds it all together. And because he holds it all together, you don't have to. And I think a lot of us feel like, um, do you remember the guy Atlas in Greek mythology? Um, I'm a nerd, very proud of that. But in Greek mythology, uh, Atlas was actually cursed by Zeus because he was a part of the Titans who were going to overthrow Zeus. And Zeus um, cursed him to hold up the universe, the world, for all eternity. And anytime you see paintings or, or sculptures of Atlas, anybody that does a good job shows a level of exhaustion in his face under the strain of carrying the whole world. And listen, if we were to have a cup of coffee today, just me and you, and you were to speak candidly, you would say, I feel like that, Pastor Jason. I feel like the relationships, the job, man, 2020, my business almost went under. In 2021, I feel like that I am under the weight of the world. And listen, I come bearing good news today. You don't have to because Jesus holds it all together. And listen, by the way, that was never meant to be your job. It's far too great of a job description for you. So why don't you let Jesus do what he does best, which is hold it all together. Listen, Jesus reveals the Father. Jesus rules the universe. And the third thing that I see is this. Jesus resurrected from death. Oh man, this is good news. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. Can I pause right there? Um, I say this all the time. I am not the senior pastor of this church. I am not any, I mean, and by the way, we never see senior in the scriptures. We see a plurality of leadership. Um, Jesus Christ is the leader of this church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, the church universal and the church local. Jesus is the head of the body, the church, and here it is. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There's that phrase again that we studied a little bit earlier, the firstborn from the dead. Now, think about Paul's logic here in these verses. He says that Jesus reveals the Father, Jesus rules the universe, and then boom, that God at one point was dead. I mean, in order to be the firstborn from the dead, you had to have died. And that's the crucifixion. This is Easter for us as Christians. That, that Jesus Christ beat sin, death, hell, and paid for it all to bring us back to the Father. That, listen, anytime I think about this, it blows my mind. That right now, Jesus Christ is physically somewhere. That he's seated at the right hand of the Father. That, listen, that you can go over to the Middle East and that you can go over to Jerusalem and you can take the tour and there's two primary spots of tombs where they think that Jesus was buried. But you can go into that tomb and there is a sign that hangs over that place that says this is where Jesus Christ was buried, but there's no body there. Because Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. That Jesus is alive. Listen, the songs that we just sang and the prayers that we pray, we pray to a God that is alive.
I love what C.S. Lewis said. Christ is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. So again, why does this matter? Jesus is the firstborn from the Jesus is the first person to be resurrected from the dead and to never die. Lazarus Lazarus was dead and Jesus brought him back, but Lazarus died again. Jesus Christ is alive eternally forever and it's changed everything. So, so how does that spur our faith? How does that allow us to keep going? Well, it means this, that death no longer has the last word. Oh, that sickness, that cancer, that Alzheimer's, COVID-19, none of that has the last word. You see, death is the great enemy. And sin leads to death. And Jesus Christ has paid the payment for sin and He's conquered death. So when we're at those grave signs and we're at that funeral home making arrangements, we have hope. Yes, we grieve. And yes, our heart breaks. But we know that there will be a resurrection again. And as the Scriptures teach that we will be like Him. So listen, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't. Some of us are in such despair with so much death and so much sickness in the world. Listen, I'm here to tell you that that doesn't have the last word. But there's something else too. If Jesus Christ was dead, I mean dead, dead, like three days dead, and He resurrected, that tells me that there's nothing that's so dead that it can't be resurrected. Listen, I don't know what relationship, I don't know what situation, I don't know what relationship with your mom or your father or your grandparents or your sister or your family or your boss, listen, your marriage. Some of us right now feel like that a relationship or situation is so dead that the addiction is so strong that I would be better dead than alive. And listen, no, please listen, you matter. That the gospel tells us that there's nothing so dead that it can't be resurrected. Listen, God takes broken pieces and makes masterpieces. And in order to follow Jesus faithfully, I need to see this Jesus clearly. And the fog has been setting in. And many of us feel like giving up, but the shoreline is right there and it is Jesus. Listen, Jesus reveals the Father. Jesus rules the universe. Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and I love what John Stott says. Christianity is in its very essence a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its very heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. And listen, can I just speak to somebody today? Many of you right now are like, man, Pastor Jason, she left me. Or, or he left me and the kids. Or... I don't know what to do anymore. I feel like this situation is dead. Listen, here's what I'm telling you. Don't give up. You're in the perfect place because you can't have Resurrection Sunday 
unless you have a crucifixion Friday. Listen, something has to die in order for it to be resurrected. And what if the situation right now that you're dealing with, God is wrestling that last bit of control and that last bit of surrender that you need to release in order for that to actually fully die for God to fully resurrect it. What if that's what's going on right now? Because I believe that's what Paul's showing us. That's how this Jesus works. This Jesus is God. That He reveals the Father, rules the universe, is resurrected from the dead, and that in all things He might be preeminent. First, Listen, here's what we've said in this series. The reason why we're going through the book of Colossians. The question is not, is Jesus important? Gosh, I believe everybody in Butler County would say that. Everybody listening to this would say, well, man, Jesus, yeah, Jesus is important. That's not the question. The question is not, is Jesus important? The question is, is Jesus first? You see, the Colossian heresy was saying that Jesus is prominent But Paul comes along and says, oh no, Jesus is preeminent. So listen, if Jesus is overall, then Jesus is all we need. That is a true statement. I love what St. Augustine said, that Jesus is either Lord overall or he's not Lord at all. And listen, I don't know about you, but with the descriptions that Paul is giving of Jesus, like king and ruler of the cosmos, um, I don't think this Jesus is up for negotiations, right? I don't think it's like, hey, Jesus, this is my area of my life. And so I know, you know, me and my girlfriend, I mean, we might get married, but I don't know. This area of my life is kind of my life, Jesus. But man, over here, I need these prayers. I need all of this. So if I could have this area and you can, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. This Jesus is good and he is trustworthy and he's Lord over all. So he's all we need. And then the last thing that I see is this. That Jesus reconciles the lost. I love how Paul makes it so applicable. Verse 19, and in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That means like every bit of God. Here's what we say uh, to the Kidside kids. Hey, Kidside kids, are you listening? You ready? Here's our sentence. Jesus is God in a bod. 100% God and 100% man. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell, verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And then here it is, verse 21, and you. Man, Paul zeroes in there. It's actually in the plural. So in Southeast Missouri, we would say, and y'all. And y'all who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Listen. That's who we are apart from Jesus. Hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Paul says, this is who you were, but he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless. Listen, here's what the Apostle Paul's saying, that Jesus Christ is not only who God is, but Jesus is how God saves That's how God saves, is Jesus. And peace comes at a price. It comes at the price of a bloody cross. 
But what I see here, the Apostle Paul, a lot of times we think that we need to make our relationships right. And so um, oftentimes our story is I have this crisis and I have this relationship and now we're not married anymore or that, you know, I don't talk to my father or there's this breakdown of relationship that then runs us maybe to church or to a pastor and we say, I need help with this relationship. But what Pastor Paul would say is, no, 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 no. We first and foremost have to be reconciled to God before we can be reconciled to others. Listen, the relationship is vertical before it's ever horizontal. So the first thing that we evaluate is our relationship to God. And Paul says that Jesus is the one who reconciles us. But then I see this. In light of that, because we were reconciled to God through Jesus because we were in the wrong in our relationship with God and Jesus has brought us together. Every believer now has the responsibility to pursue reconciliation. You see, the Apostle Paul says all of this God did in Christ, but now you have a responsibility. So, What's that relationship for you? And I know what you're saying. Pastor Jason, you don't understand this. Do, do you know what they did? If you knew what they did, I mean, this is like DEFCON. Not, this is serious. They, I can't... Um, and you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Yeah, but you don't understand. They did it a second. And you, who were alienated... Listen, we are not only recipients of grace. We are responsible to extend that grace to our other relationships. And in order to follow this Jesus faithfully, I have to see this Jesus clearly. And these descriptions just draw us so high of a view of Jesus I mean, just look at all of these descriptions as to who Jesus is. A clear view of Jesus. Jesus reveals the Father. Jesus rules the universe. Jesus resurrected from the dead. And Jesus reconciles the lost. This is the Jesus that we're following, guys. And some of you feel like giving up. And some of you feel like throwing in the towel. It's winter right now. February, the darkness is long. It's been a long, long, cold, lonely winter. And last year was so heavy, and this year has been heavy. And my encouragement to you through these words of the Apostle Paul is this is who you're following. Don't give up. This Jesus is enough, and He's everything that you need. So where have you been tempted to go other places other than to God? What relationship have you felt like that you could throw in the towel? Remember Florence? She said, if I could have just seen the shore, I wouldn't have given up. This is your Jesus. Don't give up. Keep following Him faithfully and keep diving into the Scriptures to see Him clearly. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for Your Word. Jesus, my goodness gracious, you are Lord of all. In you, all things hold together. You're the creator of the cosmos. 
God, I just pray for those of us who are listening today who are like Florence Chadwick, that, that we're in the water, we're exhausted, we feel like we're drowning and we feel like giving up. But God, through the power of Your Holy Spirit, through the proclamation of Your Word, if we could just see You clearly, Jesus. If we could just see You clearly, and Your Spirit would empower us to keep moving forward. God, I pray the, for the relationships God, I pray for those who are struggling with, with depression and despair. God, I pray that you would be with them in a very real way. God, we pray for that peace that only comes through a bloody cross. My goodness, Jesus, if you could handle creation, you can handle any situation. And because you hold all things together, we don't have to. We are free to worship you as God, not try to be our own gods. And we confess that we have sinned in trying to be our own God. Father, we ask for that forgiveness that's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, comfort those that need comforting. Convict those that need convicting. And compel us to live a life worthy of you. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.